Everyone that I know is religious. Some of them go to church. My guess is that everyone you know is religious too, even though most of them don't go to church. Let me ask you a question. Who's the most, you don't have to shout this out, just think in your own head. Who is the most religious person you know? Just think about it. Think about the first name that pops to your mind. Who is the most religious person you know? My guess is that if I ask you that question, someone that pops to your mind is maybe someone who goes to church a lot. Or maybe you think of someone who has a lot of religious items in their house, in their home. Someone who dresses a certain way because of their religious beliefs or someone who is always praying. Maybe that's who comes to your mind when I ask you, who's the most religious person you know or the most religious person you can think of? Most of the time, we define a religious person as someone ascribing to a major world religion. Oh, they're a Muslim or they're a Hindu or they're a Buddhist or they're a Christian. And we define them and we think of them, oh, they're a very religious person. I'd like to suggest to you this morning for a few, in the few minutes we have together that everybody that you know and that I know really is a religious person. People act religiously even when they don't follow a formal religion. Hang with me for a minute. We use words all the time, like we say this all the time. We say people work out religiously or they watch TV shows religiously. They look at their phone religiously. They post on social media religiously. They work as if it's their religion. All of us, I think, follow some sort of religion. We follow some kind of religious ideal. We may not identify ourselves. People may not identify themselves as a part of a major world religion. They may not attend church or read a sacred book, but we all follow some kind of religious thinking. Before you write me off as crazy and looking up the definition of religion in your dictionary. Wait, Pastor Rick, you're not right. Let me redefine it in a little different way for you. What's the promise of religion? The promise of religion, as we often think about it, is this, I think. Do this, and you'll get that. Do this, you fill in the blank, and you'll get you fill in the blank. This is often the way religions work, right? Do this and you'll get that. And there are some people who ascribe to a formal religion and think this way. Here's the list of rules from a sacred book. You need to keep the rules if you want to please God. Or in some religion, if you want to please many gods. You need to keep the rules, do these things... And this is what you'll get out of it. That's what many of us do. Keep the rules well, be good, and you'll get rewarded. Do the right things in the right way, and you'll be happy and blessed. Be bad, and you'll be punished. Do the wrong things and say the wrong things, and you'll experience suffering. And oftentimes, this is the way we think about formal religion. Do this, and you'll get that. But then... As I was saying a few minutes ago, I think there are many people who don't subscribe to a formal religion but still live this way, still think this way. Do this and you'll get that. There's people I know and I think that people you know that live by a set of rules and try and keep rules 
just to get something, a desired result, part of them. We live our lives trying to keep something. might not come out of a sacred book, but it comes from somewhere. What we try to keep may come from ourselves, or more often than not, it seems to come from the people around us. Or maybe what we want the people around us to think of us. That's why we, much of the culture we live in, this PC, politically correct culture, has these rules that we all know. We're all aware of them. They seem to change. But we all know there's certain rules you're supposed to keep in polite society. Let me give you an example. Don't believe me? Think of it this way. If it was November, and I was telling this story about the first Thanksgiving... And I started out by saying to you, now, there was this two groups of people, the pilgrims and the Indians. You immediately cringe. Because you think, doesn't he know they're Native Americans? Does he really think they're from India? Doesn't he know there are actually people from India who are sitting in this room? who are actual Indians? And doesn't he know better than to say that? And my question is this, why... Do you feel that way? And I feel that way. Why do you cringe? Not because it's written in a sacred book. Not because there's some written rule somewhere. But because there are a set of rules that we all kind of are aware of that even if you are not a part of a formal religion, even if you're not a part, there's rules you try to live by and the people around you and the people around me all try to live by as well. Thinking that if I keep these rules and if I do them, that things will go well for me. That I'll avoid harm and that I'll get pleasure. And so we try and keep these rules. You know, at least the rules in the sacred book kind of stay the same. The other rules are constantly shifting. The line's constantly moving, but people are constantly trying to live by the rules. There's something in us that says there's a certain way we have to live. It's why we put the best parts of ourselves online. Those of you that are part of social media, that's why we put certain things online and we don't put others online because we know the rules and we want people to think well of us. So we're careful about what we post, what we gram, what we snap, what we tweet, what we pin because we want to put a certain persona online. We want people to think well of us. We're looking for affirmation and attention a lot of times. The point is that many of us, whether we ascribe to a formal religion or an informal one, We're looking to do something in order to get something. Live life a certain way, and this will be the result. Do things a certain way, and you'll get this. Do this, and you'll get pleasure. Do this, and you'll get fulfillment. Do this, and you'll get meaning and value in life. And so we live our lives, sometimes under a formal religion, sometimes many times, I think for people under an informal one, trying to maintain and to attain certain things. Long time ago, there was a man named Paul. And Paul was an extremely religious person. Paul was an extremely religious person. And in fact, he talks about, in a letter to a church he was writing to in the country, uh, country of Philippi, the city of Philippi, He was writing to a church in the city of Philippi, and he wrote a letter to them, and he was talking about his prior life and how religious he was. 
And he actually enumerated all the religious accomplishments he had, the actions and the attributes he had achieved. And it's found in a passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 3 and verses 4 and 5. And this is what he says. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. In other words, the things that I do, the things that I do in my body. Though I myself have confidence have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he enumerates the things of his religion, the things that he had accomplished. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul's saying, look, all the religious things that people try and accomplish in the world, in his day anyways, he said, I've done them not only as much as, but more than anybody. And better than anybody. And he takes pride in it. He actually kind of defines what his religion is. And Paul's religion, as he defines it in this list that he was living by, is simple. It's maybe a religion that we see people living by today. Trust yourself. Achieve success, live passionately, and do good. And this is often a religion of our day, right? If you look around the world, even in the 21st century, Paul's writing in the 1st century, but even in the 21st century, trust yourself, achieve success, live passionately, do good. Say, look, I had all these things in my life that were given to me, and then all these other things that I achieved, and I lived my life with zeal, and I did it better than anyone else. And there's a religion, I think, in our world today that I see in some of the people I know, maybe you see it and you know, that if you do these four things, you do this and you get that. You do this and you get a life that's good. You get a life that's meaningful. You get fulfillment and success. That you'll be able to sense and live a life that will be fulfilled and success. Paul accomplished great things. He lived out all the tenets of his religion well. He was successful, powerful, passionate, morally upright. He did all of this. He accomplished all that his religion was calling for. And yet here's the thing. I haven't given you the next sentence yet. But in the next words that follow... He's about to call all of this stuff worthless. In fact, he's a little bit stronger than that. He calls it rubbish, trash, garbage. In fact, I'm using a polite word. The original Greek that he uses is a little more graphic in what he's describing as the stuff that you would throw out and not keep. Trash, garbage, worthless. He says, all these things, all these religious things, all these things that people are trying to accomplish, I did them better than everyone else, but they're worthless. They're garbage. Paul's religion is very similar to the way we live our lives. The promise goes like this. Trust yourself, achieve success, live passionately, do good, and you'll experience great fulfillment. That's what our world tells us. Do these things and you'll experience great fulfillment. And many people believe them to to be true. We believe if we stay true to ourselves, achieve success, live lives passionately, be a good person, that's the best you can hope for, that you'll find fulfillment there. 
But here's the problem. Here's the twist that Paul found. The problem is that this sort of thinking never really fulfills us. The problem is that you see many people that have done these things better than anyone else, just like Paul did, and they still lack fulfillment. They still lack meaning. They still lack, they're still looking for something else. They're still looking for something beyond. They're driven by something else. So Tom Brady, and you sit down in an interview, and you ask him, which one of your five Super Bowls is the favorite? Which one, which one of your Super Bowls is the favorite? And his answer is, if you've seen him do an interview, is, some I heard it already, the next one. The next one. Because it's not enough. Because when you reach the pinnacle that no one else has ever reached before and achieve a success that no one else has ever reached before, you find yourself still looking for more. When you reach the top of the ladder, you find out the ladder only just gets a little bit longer. Other people in our world find this to be true. Uh, uh, Movie producer, comedian, Judge 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 Apatow says this, there's a great distraction in thinking. When I get to the top of the hill, it's going to be awesome. And then when you get to the top of the hill, you're like, oh, I guess now I have to deal with my problems because that didn't work at all. And here's someone who's reached the top of his field in movies and producing, and he's famous, and he's, and he's accomplished all these things, and yet he says, I get to the top of the hill, and I find out that wasn't really what I was looking for. Lived by the rules, tried to accomplish great things, but then gets there and says, there's got to be more than this. Religious people living religious lives, trying to keep rules, but always finding ourselves still missing satisfaction. We look at others and think, they've got it, and if I just keep trying, I'll get it, but do they really have it? What we find from everyone who's an ultimate achiever is that they always want more, and the latter, as I said, always gets longer. It doesn't fulfill us, provide the meaning we're looking for. It just leads to more rules. We're trying to keep better the rules that we have. I just need to work out a little bit longer next time. I wasn't juicing the right stuff. I didn't read the right book. I need to have a different kind of baby stroller. I shouldn't have given her the pacifier. I should have given her the pacifier. What does the book say? I don't know. Let me check Facebook. Always trying to know what's the rules, what are we supposed to live by, what are we supposed to... And if I just get it right tomorrow, it'll all be okay. If I follow it all right tomorrow, I didn't get it right today, I messed up today, but if I can just get them all right tomorrow, if I can check off all the boxes, if I can do all the stuff right, well then tomorrow I'll find this fulfillment that I've been looking for. Tomorrow I'll find this thing that's been elusive to me to this point but it never really satisfies. It never really satisfies. And that's what Paul found out. Paul's not a guy that tried to achieve something and failed. He achieved the top. He was the most religious person. That's what he was putting out. He's like, well, you can put your credentials up against me, but I've done it and I've done it better. And it didn't satisfy me. I kept the rules better than you could ever keep them. And I found myself still lacking what I was looking for. And so he continues in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, and says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul had a change of perspective. He had a change of perspective when he encountered Jesus Christ. And when he encountered Jesus Christ, and I say the word Jesus, if you're not a church person, you might say, well, that just sounds like another religious person. That just sounds like another religion. But what Paul found was it wasn't another religion. It was what he was looking for all the time. And when he encountered Jesus Christ, what he found was all the things that he had been doing as a religious person, he says they're garbage. They didn't accomplish anything that I wanted them to accomplish. I kept all the rules and I didn't get what I was looking for. And it's when he encountered Jesus Christ that he looks back and says, my perspective on all this stuff changed. The things I thought were valuable really didn't get me where I wanted to go. But we try. We still try. We ignore the examples of other successful people. We ignore the words from Paul or from Scripture. And we think, well, if we just keep trying ourselves, we'll get there. But Paul said, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. In other words, not having a righteousness that keeps the rules, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that God depends on is faith. What he found was the rule-keeping didn't do it. And sometimes people come to church and they think, well, it's just different rules. And if I keep these rules, well, then I'll find fulfillment. I I just had the wrong rules. And so I'm going to church. I'm just looking for the right rules. So give me the right rules and I'll follow those rules and I'll find fulfillment. But that's not what we're talking about. It has to be more than that. Sometimes the way we live our lives reminds me of someone playing an app game. Any of you play games on your phone or your tablet, app games, anyone? No one wants to confess it. 93 million people are playing Candy Crush. You're telling me no one in this room plays Candy Crush? All right. I play app games. And sometimes life reminds me, the way we look at life sometimes reminds me of how people are playing video games or app games. Because they design games on an app in a very specific way, and they've got it down to a science. There's just enough victory and challenge to make you think you can conquer it, to keep you returning to it and spending your most precious resource on it. And you say, wait, I only play free games. I'm not spending anything on it. No, I said your most precious resource on it, which is time and attention. And the game makers know this is your most valuable resource. They want your time and attention because then they can leverage it to their sponsors as something valuable that advertisers will pay for. It works because, as I said, Candy Crush has 93 million daily users. One article in the Wall Street Journal talking about online games and app games said extracting as much time as possible out of users is critical Because games make money selling virtual goods, and the more people play, the more likely they will spend. 
goes on to say, ingraining a game into a person's daily routine is the key since that increases the chances a player will become a coveted spender. People are genuinely goal-driven and games are just providing goals to achieve. And so we play these app games and millions of people are playing them and they're hundreds of billion dollar industry. But then you take a step back and you turn it off for a moment. And you get a little different perspective. After all the candy has been crushed, all the farms tended to, the cities built, the civilizations conquered, the clans have clashed, you realize you are busy, but it didn't really mean anything. It didn't change anything. Not really. No matter how much money you have in your virtual bank, no matter how many chickens on your virtual farm, it can't buy you a real carton of eggs. You may be virtually rich and really poor. What if this world is the virtual world? And what if unless we know Christ, all that we do won't buy us a carton of eggs in God's real world. I mean, not even the non-organic, full of GMOs, antibiotic eggs. What if we are really busy, but as Paul said, when he saw it after he met Jesus, it's worthless. It didn't mean anything. Because when I found something that really meant something, it put everything else into perspective. Are you busy? Is your life busy? Of course it is. That's the word. That's always the response, right? How you doing? I'm busy. All busy. Everybody's busy. We've made our lives super busy. Our time with our time-saving, efficient gadgets. We're all running around trying to make money, be successful, fall in line with our cultural ideals, not to offend anyone, craft a perfect social media presence, and to make this world a better place. But quite simply, we end up following a religion. The religion that says that if you do this, you'll get that. The problem is that satisfaction never really comes. The game never ends. The work is never done. We run around our lives trying to make something of ourselves with the illusion of productivity. We work hard. We follow all the rules as possible. For many, that's rules of formal religion. For many more, it's rules of informal religion. But in the end, we find out it's kind of like a plastic egg. And it looks pretty. All your kids, many of your kids will be going after these plastic eggs in a little while. That sometimes it's like a plastic egg. It looks pretty. It's even kind of fun. But in the end, it's just a plastic egg. It's not the real thing you're searching for. It won't provide any nourishment. And if you look really close, it's empty. And sometimes I think our lives live under the rules when we take a step back that we would say, if we're really honest with ourselves, that's kind of like a plastic egg. It didn't really provide what we were looking for. And so does that mean it doesn't exist? Well, C.S. Lewis said, if this, things of this world don't fulfill the desires that you have, it might be that you were created for a different world.
It's not the desire that's wrong. It's the place we look for fulfillment that's off. Never really comes. And the question is, when are we going to stop lying to ourselves that we are going to be the different ones? That we are going to be the ones that will find the secret things that satisfies the deepest longings. When are we going to finally open our eyes and see that the pain in our lives is not because we didn't keep the rules good enough or because we didn't keep the right rules. The pain is because the system is broken. We could talk about why the system is broken, but that's another message. The point is, it's broken. We live in a broken world, and no matter how many rules you try and keep, it's still broken. And the solution to the broken system is not more people keeping more rules. It's trusting in God who is outside the broken system. It's understanding that in Jesus, by putting our faith in him, I can stop my striving and I can trust that he is going to be the one that will ultimately provide the satisfaction that I've been looking for. It's the difference between law and grace. It's the difference between rules and relationship. It's the difference between religion and gospel. This year, 2017, those of us who are theology geeks, it's kind of a significant year. It's 500 years since a man, a monk named Martin Luther in 1517 uh, did a particular act where he was uh, trying to bring some correction to religious thinking took 95 theses, statements that he thought the church was getting wrong and nailed them to a door in Wittenberg, Germany because he was t- what Martin Luther found was that he had kept all the religious rules better than anyone else. As good as anyone could keep them, he had done everything that had been told him. He had kept the rules. He had been an upstanding monk and it still didn't satisfy And what he found when he got into the word of God, what there was something that was missing. And what was missing was grace. What was missing was gospel. What was missing was this good news that Jesus brought. And I read an article on it this, uh, in the last week about Martin Luther and all he accomplished. And actually some of this message was inspired by that article in Christianity Today by David Zale because it reminded me the fact that I know a lot of people who are trying to still live under law and under rules and hope that it's going to give them what they're looking for. And 500 years after Martin Luther nailed those theses to the door saying this isn't the way, religion's not the answer, that, the, that Jesus didn't come to start another religion, that there are still people that are trying to find the answer in religion. So when you come to church, what I hope you don't hear And what I hope you're not looking for is someone that's going to say, my rules are better than your rules. Come and hear the right rules. Many people think if they come to church, they come to hear a better set of rules. Everyone is living under a set of rules, but the answer is not in the rules. And don't think that just because you don't go to church that you don't have rules that you're living under, because we do. We all do. What I'm saying is that the rules we end up keeping are not going to get us what we really want. It's not a better set of rules. The answer is in grace. 
It's not even in mercy. See, mercy is not getting something you deserve. Mercy is when someone says, you deserve this, but I'm not going to give it to you. Mercy just sets the score back to zero. Mercy just says you're not going to get what you deserve for your actions. And there are other religions, there are other beliefs that talk about mercy. But it's Jesus and Christianity alone that emphasizes grace. Grace goes beyond saying you're not going to get the punishment you deserve. Grace gets to the point in saying you're going to get something way beyond what you deserve. That grace is unmerited favor. Grace is a gift. And Christianity offers grace. So Martin Luther, one of the things he wrote, he says law, or you might substitute in rule, or religion, says do this, and it's never done. Grace says believe in this, and everything has already been done. And that's the difference. That's the difference between rules and relationship, between religion and gospel, between law and grace. The difference between you need to do this, and then you'll get this. You need to do this. The reason, you need to do this, but it's never done. And gospel and grace says believe in this because it's already been done for you. You don't have to strive. You don't have to keep the rules. You have to trust in the one who kept the rules perfectly and gave his life for you. And that is Jesus Christ. And that's the difference. So I know a lot of religious people, some of them go to church, but the answer is not in religion. It's not in keeping rules. It's in trusting in the one who kept the rules. It's in trusting in Jesus. Many people might look at my life and they might think, I've lived a pretty religious life. I started coming to church, I guess, when I was about seven or eight years old. So I've been coming to church every week for my last 30 plus years, at least once a week. Twice a week when we, three times a week sometimes. So in 30 plus years, going to multiple church services per week, many people would say, I've lived a religious life. When I was a teenager, I was in Bible quiz, like some of our kids are in Bible quiz, and we memorized books of the Bible. I had the book of James of the Bible memorized completely in the King James Version, every single verse, backwards, frontwards. I could, I could quote the book from the last verse to the first verse backwards. You could pick out any verse. I would be able to quote it in an instant before you got the reference out of your mouth. I could do the same with most of Romans. And many people would say I've lived a pretty religious life. After high school, I went to college and studied the Bible for four years to get a Bible college degree. After that, I went to seminary for another six years and studied the Bible even more. Studied it in Hebrew and Greek to be able to read it in its original languages. Studied expository preaching, exegesis, eisegesis, uh, the study of Scripture, inductive Bible reading, all of this stuff. It's been 15 years since I graduated seminary. Since that time, I've been preaching and studying the Bible. 
Many people would say, I've lived a religious life and I've done all this stuff. But really, to look at it, I'd have to say with Paul and say it's worthless. It's rubbish. It's garbage. If it doesn't serve the end of getting me closer to Jesus. And so you might sit here and say, I just need to know a little more. I need to read another little book. I need to read through the Bible more. I need to study more scripture. I need to read more scripture. It's not about keeping more rules. It's about a gospel and trusting in Christ. It's about knowing that all that matters is really Jesus. And Paul came to this point where he said, look, I've known all this stuff. I've kept all these things. I have all these actions and all these attributes. But when I look of them in light of Christ, they're meaningless because all that matters is Jesus. Many people want you to believe. Want you to believe that you came from nothing and that eventually you'll just return to nothing but that what happens in between is something. That, that you just came about because of an accident of, in the universe of time and chance and gas and matter and you happen to come about and you happen to show up on the planet and you happen to be here today and eventually you're going to be gone and return to gas and matter and dust and you'll be gone and it starts in nothing and it ends in nothing but whatever's in between is something. And it's a logical fallacy. It doesn't make any sense. How can something that starts at nothing and return to nothing have any value and meaning in the middle? How, how can there be any value or meaning to what happens in between except for what we think we're assigning to it? The mistake is that we didn't come from nothing. The mistake is that there was a something and a someone that brings meaning to what's in between. It's the only thing that makes sense. Because you look around and you say, it's too beautiful, it's too good. Even in the midst of the mess, even in the midst of the pain, even knowing it's not perfect, even knowing that it's not completely the way it should be, there's still too much beauty, too much good, too much here to say that it doesn't mean anything. You know there must be something. So if there's something, it's because it came from someone. And so this morning, as we close out this time and this message, I just ask you to consider. Consider the life that you're living. Consider the rules that you're following. Maybe you go to a church. Maybe you come to this church. Maybe you think, I just, you've been living your life thinking, I just need to follow the right rules. And I'm bringing my kids here so they're learning the right rules for them to follow and then they can raise up little rule followers of their own. And maybe one of us will get it right someday. And maybe one of us will actually feel fulfilled and satisfied. And maybe one of us will actually live that perfect day where we won't mess up one time. But I'm asking you this morning to recognize is the answer is not in the rules. The answer is not in getting the rules right. Because it all ends up being kind of like this plastic egg. You end up striving and running like that dog that chases the plastic bunny around the racetrack. 
let that bunny go and the dogs run and chase it. Of course, the question is, what would the dog do if he ever caught the bunny? I know what the dog's owners do when they catch the bunny, and that's not pretty. But what does the dog do when they catch the bunny? He's going to find out it's not what he was looking for, and now he doesn't know what to chase. And we spend our lives running, chasing, and hoping the next day will be better and we'll finally find that fulfillment we've been looking for. What the gospel says is stop running, stop striving, stop chasing something you'll never catch. And even if you did, it wouldn't be fulfilling to you. And look to Jesus. Look to the one who kept the rules perfectly. And in there, you'll find grace. You'll find acceptance. You'll find a father who says that when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus that you will find the love, the attention, the affirmation. You will find the meaning, the value that you have been looking for all of your life in all these other places. That it's only found in Christ. Would you pray with me? I just ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment as we close out our time here this morning. And if you're here this morning, maybe you're hearing this message, maybe you've been coming to church for many years, or maybe this is your first time here. But something this morning resonated with you. Something this morning caught your attention. Something this morning made sense in a way maybe it didn't before. And I would say, that's not me. That's not my words. It's not anything I've said. What it is, is God himself speaking to you. What it is, is God himself, I think, calling you to himself, speaking to your heart, saying, that's you. That's you. You know that's you, and you know it's you. You've been trying to follow the rules. You've been trying to get it all right. You've been trying to, 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 you've been thinking that if I would just get it right, that I would be fulfilled and satisfied. And God is saying to you today, that's you but he's also giving you an opportunity. He's also giving you an opportunity. He says, if you will give your life over to me, if you will do the thing that doesn't seem to make sense, which is stop trying to control your life and keep all these rules and give the control over to God, that you will find what you've been striving for all along. You will find in God what you've been looking for and searching and have not been able to find. That you will find forgiveness. That you will find grace. That you will find salvation as you turn your life over to Him. And to some of you, I think God might be saying, you've tried everything else. When are you going to give your life over to God? Let Him have control. When are you going to realize that the next thing you try will be like the last thing you tried? That's not going to fulfill you. That it won't provide what you're looking for. And so this morning, if that's you and you're here, I invite you to take a moment, talk to God, pray to Him, 
to let him know what he already knows, that you've been striving and it hasn't been working, and that this morning you want to give your life and the control of your life over to his control, and you want to trust him with your life and with your future here on this earth and beyond this life. And if that's you, it's simple. You don't have to use any special words. But in your own space and in your own place and in your own heart to just say to God, that's me. And God, I confess that I have tried to live my life on my own and on my own terms and it hasn't worked. And Lord, there are times where I know that I have Lord, not live the life that I want or that you would want me to live and I ask you to forgive me for that. And I ask you to come in and to take control of my life completely. And today, on Palm Sunday, 2017, I want to give my life over to the one who gave his life for me. Put my trust in him. And if that's you, I just encourage you in this moment, in that place, just to pray that prayer to God. Father, as we are here as a people, we recognize that we have a tendency to be rule followers. We have a tendency to want to make rules and try and keep rules and then think it means something. Father, would you set us free? Would you set us free in our mind? Would you set us free in our heart? Even those of us who call ourselves Christians at times fall into the trap of thinking it's our keeping of the rules that really makes the difference, that really makes you happy, that really pleases you, when ultimately it's really our trust in the only one who perfectly kept the rules that pleases you. And so, Lord, would you set us free from that type of thinking? Set us free to live our lives under your grace. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.